Welcome to Inner Guidance Daily, a place where you can have daily inspiration, meditations, and conversations to help you connect to your own inner guidance. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Lauren Lee. I'm a meditation guide and the founder of Inner Rebel Company. I'm helping you connect to your own inner guidance. Come check out the show. Welcome to Inner Guidance Daily. I'm so glad you guys are here. I have a very special guest. If you thought I had one, only one brother, you're lucky I have two. <laughs> I'm welcoming, welcoming my oldest brother, Aaron, to the show. Welcome to the show, bro. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. I, see, I was actually thinking about this this morning when I like woke up. I was like, our family is like so like brilliant. Like, It's not like we have like this one random relative who (laughs) is like the outlier. Like, I don't know if everybody can say that about our family, but I'm just so proud of our family. We are awesome. We're a lucky bunch of people. Right? Yeah. Um, We've had, we've had so many lives in just one lifetime. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be here with you. I've always wanted to do this. So thank you for inviting me. Yay. I'm so glad you're here. It's so cool. Also, I was thinking about this. Um, so I'm the youngest, right? You know, I have two older brothers, Aaron and Zach. You guys have now met Zach and now you're meeting Aaron. And um, they both have like the deepest voices in the world. But aside from that, uh, I was thinking about this last night. And you, this will be not a memory you have at all. Um, but growing up, being the youngest, like Aaron, you're six years older than me. Zach is four years older than me. And so there was a, a pretty big gap, especially as like a young toddler. And I remember like you guys would always, you, uh, Zach, you know, dad, mom would always be talking. And for me, it would always be like these big words, you know, like, it'll, and, and whether it was, or it could be like, you know, yesterday, but that seemed like, seemed like a really big word. So I remember being in the car seat, um, we were going somewhere and in my mind, I was hearing the conversation and I can remember my like thoughts thinking like, okay, these are they're using those big words. Okay. Now pull out one of your big words in your mind, you know? And I was like, um, okay, so what's the biggest word, you know? And so I knew the word hippopotamus. So I was like, I remember asking mom, like, Hey mom, where do baby hippopotamuses come from? (laughs) But that's exactly what happened when I asked the question, you guys all bust out laughing, you know, because it was like, that's hilarious. Obviously, like, you know, my mom doesn't want to explain where that's a, that's a. Where baby intense. anything comes from. Yeah, right, right. But let alone a hippopotamus. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I was just thinking about the, the other day, like you guys are just so brilliant. My whole family is so brilliant. So it's, I feel really lucky, but I want to ask you, do you have, what's your like earliest memory? One of my earliest memories, um, was uh, peeing on the electric fence at what? Granny and Grandpa's. Yes. Really? Yeah, it was maybe four or five. And, I, and like I had been told, do not touch the electric fence under any circumstances. So of course of- you wanted to do so it. Course, yeah, I'm like, what if I touch it with a string of pee? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> the answer is, don't do that. Oh my um, God. But uh, yeah, I was, I was, I think I was like four. Um, Wow. And I think there's actually a contemporaneous photo of that visit to Granny and Grandpa's farm. Yeah. Uh, with and and there's like me and Grandpa and and our grandfather had a dog named 
dog. Um, so me and grandpa and dog all right next to the electric fence on the farm. Oh. Uh, probably before this happened. <laughs> yeah, right. That's so awesome that that is, that is your first, like, earliest online memory. I, I don't really know if it is. The, the truth is, I think I also, we, we as, as, you, as you know, our family lived in uh, Paoli um, in Pennsylvania, right. uh, like, the first years of my life. And I recall sitting on uh, a lawn chair with dad um, out on, like, the lawn of that house when I was yeah. maybe three years old. I think that's probably actually my first uh, memory. And I think I was asking dad for a sip of beer, um, <laughs> which I don't think I got. But no, uh, yeah. But I, I do sort of have that, that recollection. How cool is that? That's crazy. My first online, and this actually is cool to ask you because you will probably, you, you know, you can validate this. Mm-hmm. Um, my first, first uh, memory, like the thing that I can remember, like from like being super little is, okay, remember when we lived in the first home in Highland Park yeah. next to that uh, park, Sunset Park, I think, right? Harvard Court. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in my mind, you can validate this. So in my, in my mind, I remember being really little and there were like big stairs that went upstairs and I think they were green. Maybe there was some sort of like dark carpeted something. Is that yeah. true? Mm-hmm. And I remember crawling up them. That's mm-hmm. my earliest memory. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. There was a bathroom off to the left at the top of the stairs and mine and Zach's shared bedroom was off to the right. Yeah. And I kind of don't remember what happened after that. You no, know, I still remember our telephone number at that house. Really? 831-2309. God, that's the weirdest stuff that gets stuck in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. What's the earliest phone number you remember? I remember 2510 Highmore. Okay. So that is literally like forever ingrained in me. Forever. Like mm-hmm. I will die knowing that number eight four seven four three two three seven five nine. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Yeah. And even like our our my friends' numbers, you know, mm-hmm. that lived on that street. It was it was yeah. Yeah, my high school buddies, I still remember their phone numbers. Now now I don't. I've never I haven't dialed the phone number. In I don't know how long. <laughs> I know I know it's weird, right? It's weird to like. Everything's all symbolic now. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so thanks for going down memory lane with me a little bit. But um, so I I reached out to you because you are like, whenever there's a big thing, like a big question, I'm like, who do I ask? I ask Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of the family is like that too. It's like if something is really complex or if something is like wild going on in the world, like AKA 2020, the year 2020. <laughs> Um, we all kind of migrate to you like, so Aaron, what are you thinking about this? Totally. And then I just put my imagination in high gear and make stuff up. And no, you don't. <laughs> Stop. No, you don't. No. You're like the sound wise, you know, the, you're like the wise village person in our family. Um, uh, no, you are really, <laughs> really truthfully. Okay. So I reached out to you because I had been paying attention to something called the Schumann resonances. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, for like, I don't know, maybe six or seven months, I've just been like paying attention to it, looking at it, you know, ask, you know, like, okay, what is this? Um, and the recent weeks and recent months, it's been like off the charts. So meaning that there's a lot of activity. So I wanted to 
And most people I'm going to assume don't know what it is. So let's just start like foundational. Tell us what is it? And by the way, I reached out to him and I was like, hey, what do you know about the Schumann resonances? And he was like, well, funny enough, I'm studying it. So I was like, oh, bing, here we go. Okay. So that's why this podcast came to life. And, um, and, and uh, so tell us what it is. Basic, sure. basic foundation. So the, the Schumann resonance is a, is, is what's called an extremely low frequency um, radio wave, essentially, or standing wave. And um, so what happens is the Earth is being bombarded all the time by cosmic radiation, and some from the sun and some from just high energy, you know, nuclei zooming around in the universe that happen to hit our atmosphere, penetrate down through the atmosphere. And all of that radiation um, causes the atmosphere to get charged up. Um, and so <clears throat> what happens is there's, there's, always, um, there's always a certain amount of lightning happening in the world. So, so like, I think I read at any given time, there are something like 4,000 lightning strikes simultaneously occurring around the globe. Right. And, and that discharge of, um, of, of cosmic radiation, um, through, you know, which causes charging of the atmosphere and that discharge from the atmosphere to the earth um, actually is... Uh, causing emanation of radio waves. And then because part of the atmosphere called the ionosphere is actually reflective uh, to radio waves, what happens is once, once the, the lightning discharges, the radio waves basically bounce between the surface of the earth and the ionosphere, which is, you know, some number of miles up. Um, and that bouncing between the earth and the, ionos and the ionosphere causes a standing wave. And then, um, those 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 standing waves have harmonics, um, which are multiples of the primary wavelength. So the sort of you, you probably heard the fundamental frequency of the Earth, so to speak, is about seven point eight three hertz. Right. That's that's the first Schumann mode, um, or what's okay. called a mode. Um, and then there's resonance at uh, fourteen and around twenty and around thirty, and those are all harmonics of that primary mode. Um, and those modes don't change because they're actually they're determined by the distance, the altitude of the ionosphere, the distance between the ground and the top of the ionosphere or the bottom of the ionosphere. What does happen though is various peaks in the, in the spectrum uh, rise and fall in power. So sometimes, like often, that 7.83 mode is actually the dominant mode or the highest uh, energy frequency that's, uh, that's occurring, but sometimes it's some of the harmonics that are farther up the, the frequency scale um, and so recently there have been peaks at uh, 14 and 20 and 30 um, that, have, uh, that have exceeded the 7.83 peak. And so that's what people are talking about when they say it's, it's getting bigger or going crazy. It's just the idea that the relative amount of power in one frequency band or in one harmonic is higher than another. Yeah. Um, and uh, I can go into sort of how that affects the, the human or, or how we think that affects yeah. the human. It's helpful. Yeah, 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 that was my next question. Like, what does that mean for us? Like, so what, right? Like, yeah, so exactly. So what? So, um, you know, on, more broadly, we are bathed in electromagnetic radiation. Um, and we always have been for all of evolution. Um, but certainly for the last 200,000 years of human evolution, um, we're getting cooked by solar radiation. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things that emanate radio frequencies or, or electromagnetic frequencies uh, in the world on a natural basis. And we evolved 
under those conditions, which means our, physio our physiology is probably well adapted to them, um, or at minimum, you know, may, may have some relationship with them. And what we find around the, the, the Schumann frequencies is that uh, your, your global brainwave activity, um, actually, each, each of the various brain states from alpha, beta, gamma, delta, and theta, um, you know, those sort of run from 0.1 hertz to around 25 or 30 hertz. So this is basically the range of the first uh, three or four Schumann modes. Um, and in fact, there's been research done. Um, I, I was recently reading some papers that show that if you measure the Schumann um, resonance in a certain place, um, especially those first couple of modes, and, and you measure, you put an electroencephalograph or an EEG on a person's head, and you measure their, their brain activity, you can actually find periods of time that last between two to 300 milliseconds where um, the phasing of the, the Schumann resonance actually comes into sync with the phasing of the brain waves. Right. So, um, so the hypothesis out there is that actually uh, brain activity is on some level mediated by and might even have evolved in conjunction with that Schumann resonance. Um, and the, the brain does something else really interesting, which is uh, there's, there's something called a frequency following response, which is typically, uh, which is typically talked about in the auditory context. So like when you hear a bunch of sound, the strongest of those sounds, the brain will lock into it and, and sort of uh, expose it at a high level of detail for your interpretation. Um, so it'll actually follow, it'll lock onto that most powerful frequency. Wow. Um, and um, like my speculation is it may be that something similar happens at the electromagnetic frequency level where um, the brain actually does lock onto or try to entrain, so to speak, with the highest resonance that it finds and it, you know, that it's receiving. Because right. you do also have um, ferrous material in the brain. Like there have now been some experience, experiments that show that we have essentially like little tiny compasses um, in our brain material. And so those resonate um, magnetically. And so it's possible that uh, our brains actually are doing a frequency following sort of thing uh, with the local Schumann resonance. And so the, the, you know, the concern is that if other spectral peaks, if, if these sort of higher level um, Schumann modes uh, become the more dominant energy, either because of non-native EMF that we're pouring into the ionosphere or because of solar winds or because of a shift in the Earth's magnetic field or what have you, that it could be that uh, people's, people's brains try to entrain with those higher frequencies. And that could manifest as anxiety. You know, it could manifest as, um, as, as a dysregulation of, uh, of, of the calm presence that I know that all the listeners to this podcast are, are likely to be pursuing and interested in. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's some of the background on what it is and also how we think it might couple with individual, you know, conscious experience. So, I mean, I told you guys like that you're like a walking encyclopedia and maybe a walking Google is better than encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is like dated, but um, thank you for all that. Uh, okay. I have two questions. One, there's, there's these... I wouldn't even say that there are theories. There's thoughts that the global conscious awakening that is mm -hmm. happening is in 
is some some way related to this to this would mm-hmm. you think that's true what do you think about that well i think first you have to ask if there's a global conscious awakening happening and i mean <laughs> I, I i i don't know what do you think do you I think believe, well i i think that i think that there's not really a choice i think that we we face existential crises that cannot be addressed from the level of consciousness that we brought to this moment sure. and so there had better be um and so i choose to believe that there is and i see little you know bits of of evidence you know for that in, in my life and, and around me um i i also want to mention that i believe actually that it might be more of a reversion to a mean than a first awakening because uh, an impression that i have um and and uh, you you know this, but for the listeners of the podcast, my wife Andrea and I have uh, a concept in our marriage that we call retro future, um, and it's the idea of ancient wisdom brought into the modern moment and made relevant again. And some of the ancient wisdom that I think is most interesting is is that which uh, indigenous peoples brought to their spiritual awareness. And so it it may actually be that at a certain point in the past we were in utter harmony with nature um and and in and on some level in in utter harmony with each other and so my my hope is actually we're rediscovering that which was lost as opposed to needing to break through to some condition that we've never experienced before um but but neither here nor there i think there might have been times when we were more versus less conscious if that's happening um and i choose to believe that it is uh then i think we don't know what drives it and I think it's just as possible that, um, I think it's equally possible that rather than Schumann resonance being changed by an exogenous, like, you know, astro- astronomical process or, or by man-made EMF or something, it's actually our shift in consciousness that is causing it. Because in yeah. addition to being receivers of energy, we are also generators of electromagnetic energy. Each of us um, right. are constantly putting off electromagnetic energy. And so that's the way I like to think about it. I like to think that it's actually a consequence rather than a driver um, of that uh, of, of that in, in improvement or uptick in global awareness and consciousness. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. You know, it seems like, I don't know, it's a big concept. It's, a, it's something to like really consider. And I don't think most of us are ever thinking about like the energy we're emitting out into the world and that the you know, I think we forget, I think we forget that we're like literally floating in space. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's not like we've built like these worlds that make us feel like we are not in space, but literally we're on a planet in space. So it's got to have some sort of impact on us and we have to be impacting the universe, right? Absolutely. And our, you know, our standard vision is so limited because we evolved to um, kill and eat stuff that was within a hundred yards and run away stuff that was within you know a few hundred yards and outside of that you know we're, we're in uncharted territory in terms of our ability to sort of grok the universe so um, right. yeah it's easy to forget that you're just on a little ball of congealed dust hurtling through the you know hurtling through the the, the stuff <laughs> i know seventeen thousand miles an hour i know sometimes i mean sometimes i just have to like look up at the moon or like look up at the sun and be like oh yeah like i'm in space <laughs> And like, there's really nothing I can do but just be here and at this moment because everything I, I've been recently like just realizing how disconnected and 
we are and how much like purpose we've put into being disconnected from like nature, from the cosmos, from like animals. We literally put concrete between us and the mm-hmm. earth, you know, and I don't know. I just recently have been like really hyper aware of like how disconnected we all are. Well, it's funny you, you mentioned disconnection because um, and I know we've talked about this a little bit, but um, one of the one of the practices that I have adopted in the last two years is just a grounding practice. Mm-hmm. Be outside with your feet on the ground, or like yes. if you're like me with a nerdy pair of Earth Runner sandals, um, <laughs> you know, grounded literally everywhere I go. Yeah, uh, because you are receiving positive ions all the time. You're being positively charged just by like existing. Right. And if you're wearing socks and there's rubber between you and the ground, you're never releasing it. You're never getting those nice free electrons out of the ground. And so right. most likely you are um, experiencing inflammation um, and, and tension that you could easily release. And so um, in the same way that I think going out in nature and, uh, you know, putting yourself in a place where you can receive the natural energies is crucial. I think you can actually do it all the time. Totally. Um, I totally agree with you. There have been moments during the pandemic, which I want to talk to you about that. And I also want to talk about health coaching, um, uh, where I have just needed to literally go outside and like bathe in the sun, like literally have the sun, like just hit my skin and literally put my feet in the ground, literally put my hands in soil. Like, Mm -hmm. and that has been sometimes like a saving grace after like all the doom and gloom that exists in our world and like Mm -hmm. the internet like sometimes you just literally shut it off and go outside so I feel you on that absolutely okay let's talk about I'm trying to think of you know what's what should we do first but let's talk a little bit about like health coaching like you're making a huge career transition um I I would think it's pretty huge don't you think yeah and I've, I've begun to think of it as an addition like I began okay. to realize I'll never leave my old stuff behind and, and just like switch and do something new, but there's a ton of overlap between, you know, the interests I've had and the interests I'm, I'm pursuing. And but, so, yeah, I would call it a career addition. Okay. I like that. A career addition. Okay. So tell people like where you have spent most of your time career wise and like where yeah. you're headed. Um, so my background is um, I'm a college dropout, uh, <laughs> master, master of nothing, real curious. <laughs> Uh, like like to read and do stuff and um, way way back in 1995 when it was a thing I uh, stopped going to class and I read the the kernel of which which is the core of the operating system of the Linux uh, operating system and so I learned about Linux which became which is the thing that basically runs the internet Um, like way back when it was just invented and because nobody knew anything about it I was basically as much of an expert as anybody else Right. And so I got very, very lucky in that just my timing was good and I understood um, a thing at its sort of dawning. And as it grew- Let me stop you for one second. What made you, what made you do that? What made I you would, well, that yeah, actually it was pride. Um, I have pride <laughs> to think of that. So I had, I had this wonderful roommate uh, whose uh, his name was John. My first, my first year in college, my first, yeah, uh, two semesters in college. Um, and uh he was uh, he was a virtuoso guitar player, and he was also sort of a, a computer guy. And he had a Windows 3.1 computer. Um, and um, you know, I I considered myself pretty intelligent back then, uh, but he did not. He thought that he was a lot smarter than me, uh, which was probably true. And uh, 
And, and so he sort of lorded over me the fact that he knew how to work his Windows computer and I did not. And so oh, when, he went home, when he went home to Houston for like a holiday, I spent a whole week writing viruses to infect his computer. Stop. Are you serious? Totally serious. Okay. Uh, just, to, just to sort of get one over on him because he was doing so much for me. Like he was teaching me to play guitar and he was teaching me about the computer and it was like, it was pretty uh, ego impacting. And so... Um, so I took the opportunity to to hack a little bit. And uh, after, man, after the first two weeks of that, I was hooked. I was like, yeah. wow. This... And, and the other thing was, like, I think people around me had always assumed that I knew something about computers because I knew a lot about mechanical things. I was always, yeah, like, right. motorcycles and cars and stuff like that. But I knew nothing about computers and had really never touched one. Right. Uh, I mean, aside, like, we had a Mac and I used to play the flight simulator, but that was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I had a little bit of a block around computers because people already expected me to know, but I didn't know, so I didn't want to ask any questions. Sure. So when I did finally get into it and realized how interesting it was, it just took over my life. Um, and, it, and, and because I've always had a drive to understand how things worked, and Windows right. at the time was a black box. There was a point beyond which you were not allowed to know how it worked because it was closed proprietary software. And I wanted to understand how it was that all of this incredible hardware, the processor and the memory and the hard disk and the bus and all the stuff in the computer actually talked to the software. Right. Linux was open source. So I could go get the source code. And to me, this was like an amazing thing. I could go right. download the source code and read it and understand how all that stuff worked. So it was just me wanting to understand how it worked and yeah. continuing to read and parse and, and dig through until I understood it. That's so cool. But it was all ego driven. So, you know, as much work as I've done now to, to release ego and, and, and avoid being driven by that, I have it to thank for my initial curiosity. Yeah, I think, you know, on that note, you know, the ego gets so vilified, vilified, that's my yeah, word? Vilified. Um, but truthfully, you know, I think it does work in our favor, you know, when it's, when it's not like the extreme and especially when you're young, I mean, that's literally what you're living off of. It's like what you're, you know, keeping you protected and, and safe okay. and, you know, showing up in the world in some way so that you can stay here and stay alive and stay functioning. Right. But mm -hmm. I think it's like when it goes unchecked and you don't realize, Oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. this is quite intense and, and very one-sided when it's a little selfish. Yeah. It's a little crazy. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah. Um, okay. So, so you learned, you know, computers and you spent a lot of time in that realm and then, and then now you're adding this addition. So what are you up to now? I did. So just to round out the story, I learned computers and then this, and this is sort of a, a, a good hinge point. Like I learned computers, I started some software companies and then at a certain point I had a little bit of an epiphany. It was like super, it was like three in the morning one night and I was writing code at a company and I realized that the mental model that I was using to reason about the software, which is like you have nodes in a graph, right? Like little, little functions in a computer program and they're connected to each other and they send messages to each other. And you can think about, hey, if this one sends that, this message to that one, what's the effect gonna be? How's its behavior gonna change? What's it gonna say to all the things that are downstream of it? And I realized that um, I could use the same mental models to reason about human organizations. So I could start thinking about like, well, you know, this group um, has this interaction with that group and they have these people in common. And so when this message goes to that group, it's gonna change its behavior in a certain way. 
and that led to my entrepreneurial journey because I also had the very strong sense that um, the things I wanted to do in the world, I could not achieve on my own. And so I had to figure out how was I going to be able to organize and motivate and reward and, and foment organizations of people who would help me do stuff I wanted to do. And that led to, you know, an entrepreneurial adventure, almost basically the last 20 years of my life, like starting yeah. and building tech companies. Um, and then around 2015, uh, I would say I was fat, stressed out, anxious, um, and, and, and like experiencing a dawning disillusionment, which was that, um, you know, I had spent the previous almost 20 years building um, consumer-facing internet applications. And, I, and, I, and, you know, this was not a unique insight of mine, but it, it finally settled on me that, like, the most brilliant minds of my generation had spent all of that time alongside me building things that were radically addictive. Yeah. Um, right? Like, the, the whole point of all of the analytics and all of the data mining and all of the deep thought and, and design thinking and all that stuff that we were doing was actually just to capture people's attention in a way yeah. that, we, that we could not let go of. Right. Um, and right about the same time, I uh, stumbled into Dave Asprey and uh, uh, the, the, the whole Bulletproof universe. And um, I started drinking Bulletproof coffee in the morning and I lost like 35 pounds and had more energy and was just like astonished that even, I mean, I, <clears throat> I had always struggled with weight um, and had been bigger and smaller, but never really like in great shape. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was the first time in my life where I felt like I had this, uh, this, this uniquely powerful tool for changing my body and, and changing my perception of my body and changing the amount of energy I had to bring to all of my pursuits. And it, it got me wondering, like, why, why is it that this guy who writes this blog, who makes this coffee stuff, has had this impact on my life when, like, none of my doctors or healthcare practitioners or, you know, other people I've run into in my life have ever helped me have this impact. And it really right. got me wondering. And so, right. um, so I kind of fell down that rabbit hole of biohacking and, and right. what does that mean? And, uh, and so for, for a number of years, I went through different, um, you know, technologies and modalities and, and, and protocols in that area, just working on myself, trying to find out how could I feel great all the time and how could I feel great all the time for a longer period of total life, right? Health span. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, how could I live as long as possible? Um, yeah. Right? Like, how could I actually extend my, my total lifespan, uh, you know, into, into the indefinite, um, you know, into the indefinite realm? And I mean, I, I don't have the answer to that today. But, right. um, but along the way, what I discovered was that there's a, for me, at least a total disconnect between what the health, the, what I call the sick care system or the healthcare system thinks of as health, mm -hmm. which is, in, in, again, in my words, and, and if, you're, uh, if you're a doctor or a healthcare practitioner listening to this, I mean, no offense. Um, essentially, the definition of health that our health system offers us is you are not currently diagnosable with a disease right now. Ugh. And if you're not currently diagnosable with a disease right now, you're healthy. Right. Um, but I knew that wasn't true because I wasn't diagnosable with a disease, but I wasn't healthy. Right. And so, didn't feel good. Right. And so it dawned on me that um, the gap between the sort of healthcare definition of wellness and what I think of as wellness, which is this ongoing state of evolving personal optimality, not mm -hmm. reachable, but 
but able to be pursued mm-hmm. um, is vast, is huge. Right. And, 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 the, and, and it's mediated by, you know, the, the thing about the healthcare system is an expert tells you what to do, you follow right. their advice. Right. You can't get to wellness. You can't get to personal optimality by listening to, by, by with somebody else telling you what to do. You actually have to experiment in order yeah. to discover the impacts that different things will have for you in order to find that sort of optimal personal wellness protocol. Right. And so, so I took that journey for myself. I'm still on that journey. And along the way, I discovered a lot of things that I wanted to be able to share with right. friends and family. Um, and that led me to declare last year that I wanted to become uh, a longevity coach. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I did that. And um, for a while, I was going around and telling um, people would ask, what are you up to? And I would say, I'm, I'm, I'm working on living to 250. Um, and, um, and that's still sort of true. But my wife very sweetly pulled me aside and said, you sound like an idiot. Like, not only that, like, you sound crazy. Why would you even want to live to 250? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I had my reasons, but I hadn't really like thought it through. And it brought me up short. And, um, and what I eventually realized is that I feel a deep, deep sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to live long enough to live out my purpose. Yeah. And, and I think it might take longer than 80 or 100 years. And so that's, that's really what I'm up to is, uh, is, is trying to make sure that because I believe it's a tragedy that so much wisdom leaves our world so soon, right? Yeah. We spend all whole lifetime becoming wise, hopefully. Yeah. And then poof, <laughs> and all that wisdom just it becomes unavailable to the world. Right. Um, I believe that that wisdom is part of the key that will help us evolve our consciousness into right. more sustainable, into a more sustainable situation in society. And so, I want to support that wisdom in its full, you know, its full unfolding and flowering. Um, right. Right. And so, uh, so that's what I've been up to. And and uh, since then, what I've understood is that it doesn't matter how long you live if you're sick, miserable, and almost dead. Right. Um, so there's really a hierarchy of needs that I try to address in, in, my, in my nascent, you know, developing practice, which is, first of all, how do we feel great? How do we, how do we live vibrantly? Right. And secondly, how do we do that for as long as possible within the bookends of our lifespan, right? Because right. If, you look at, <clears throat> if you look at the, the statistics for the last century, our lifespan has doubled. Hmm. So has, in fact, the, the amount of time within our lifespan that we spend sick has much more than doubled, right? So yeah. we, we live longer, but we're also sick for a really long time before we, before we pass. Right. And that period of time when we're sick um, is not a fun period of time. And so right. um, so it, it poses this interesting paradox, which is modern medicine um, and, and, and the the public health context around modern, modern medicine, like vaccines, like sanitation, um, you know, like, uh, like better infant care to reduce infant mortality has raised average lifespan, you know, almost two X. Um, but it hasn't necessarily improved quality of life. Right. Right. Like we live longer, but we're, we're, we're unhappy or we're, we're, we're in pain and suffering for a long period of time at the end of that life. Totally. And so I think our, our role, um, as, as uh, health practitioners in this age is in part to close that gap, to make sure that we are vital for as long as practical. Yeah. Um, 
even if lifespan doesn't move a lot, we can still get a lot more out of life that way. And yeah. so that's what I'm trying to address in my practice. I mean, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. It, you know, it takes you times a million other people, you know, to get other people on, to the, on board to like being like health conscious and health aware. What would you say to somebody who is feeling not good? You know, like they, they're not sick, but they don't mm-hmm. feel good. They don't wake up feeling great uh, mm-hmm. throughout the day. They're sluggish and just, you know, you know, like there's no vibrant life being lived. What would you say to that person? Like what's, the, what's step number one? Step number one is uh, spiritual. It's, it's to recognize that, that you are not intended to feel that way. Um, and, and to offer hope, you, you, it's, it's not a, it's, it's not, there's no punishment sentence. Yeah. It, 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 it can and will change. Um, and secondly, to explain that <clears throat> you've been misled. Mm-hmm. You've been misled into thinking that there might be a single thing that solves it. It's not true. Um, and in fact, the medical, the medical view is radically deconstructionist, right? right. It's, it's the idea that you can be parceled into subsystems and components and that they can be treated independent of the whole. Yeah. Um, and on some level, it's true, but none of, that, um, none of that addresses the totality of the individual. Right. And so, you know, my, my coach likes to talk about um, the head, the mind, the heart, um, you know, the, the, the heart and soul energy and the hand, the action and the idea that head, heart and hand need to be, uh, need to be brought together, need to be thought of as uh, a set of, of cooperative components or tools hmm. that make up the individual. And so every change to one of those things has an impact on the other things. And so the, the thing that, the thing I think people might want to hear is that small changes add up and that there is no one answer for each individual person. And it actually requires that one enter into an inquiry in order to resolve and to address things that might be causing pain or suffering. Um, but that each step in that inquiry adds momentum in the unflowering of, of a person's life. And so, uh, I guess to offer some hope, there are incredibly simple things that everyone can do that don't cost any money yeah. um, that will begin to help address uh, issues at, at the spiritual and at the body and at the emotional level. Um, and every little bit of success or every little bit of better feeling actually makes it easier to get to the next level. Um, and so, so I just want to offer people hope that if, if you've been to a million specialists, you know, or even if you've just been to a few, and you haven't had the results that you want, it may be because um, they're thinking of you as a set of lungs or an endocrine system or, um, you know, uh, or, or a nutritional um, gastrointestinal system or, or even a brain. You are all of those things, but your heart, your, your essence. The whole um, body, the whole is, essence, yeah, yeah. Is the whole being. And, and frankly, right. you know, where, where I've, gotten to in my life is that I, I believe that everybody needs a holistic protocol, meaning yeah. you need the nutrition, you need the exercise, you need the supplementation, you need the meditation or the mindfulness practices. Right. Um, you need the, uh, you need the medicine, you need, you need the, uh, 
the, the, the medical and the adjunctive attention to balance yeah. out the different systems of the body. Right. But you can add those things over time and they all build on each other. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. I was just like in my head thinking like, I, lo- I love my brother. Um, <laughs> I love you too. That's just, I think it's amazing advice, you know, and I think a lot of us aren't, I like a lot of us aren't thinking outside of this one, you know, one solution. You know, if you are sick, tired, overweight, like there's, you know, we've kind of been sold this, this idea that you, sp- you spoke about so eloquently, like, you know, that there's this one solution, like do this and then you're going to feel great. And it's really a bigger picture. And also I love that you led with you know, a self-inquiry, like nobody's going to tell you necessarily what's right for you. You're going to have to start to investigate what's right for you and then seek out help. You know, there's people like you and yourself who are help you mm-hmm. and help you find the results and the information that you need. But you're going to have to start to ask yourself the questions like, you know, when do I feel good? Or like, when mm-hmm. don't I feel good? So if I eat these things and I also love the combination of like your mind and your heart and your hand to hand is like symbolic to like the actions you take. That's right. That's pretty powerful stuff. So thank you. Thank you for taking us through that. I'll, I'll add one more thing. There's just one very, very concrete recommendation that I can make for everybody. It's you've been sold a bill of goods culturally about your sleep. Yeah. Um, it is not cool. It is not interesting. It is not necessary to push yourself in your work or your life. Um, to the point where you compromise your sleep. And I mean, I did this in my startups for many years. I slept under my desk. I slept not at all. I worked all night. Um, and the truth is, it's a false economy. And it's bad for you. Like, it's basically yeah. all bad for you. Right. So if there's, if there's any one area that does have a consequential impact on every other area, it's your sleep. And if you yeah. just fix that, if you just make it better, even incrementally, right. uh, you'll lose weight, you'll have more energy, you'll be happier, you'll perform better. Um, you know, the benefits are, hey, you'll live longer, you'll, you'll, get, you'll get less Alzheimer's, less heart disease, right. um, <clears throat> all, all the things that kill you. It's really at the very heart of all recovery. Um, and our culture doesn't respect it. No. And so, you know, if there's any one and it's not really, it's, it's, it's not a radical position these days, but if there's a countercultural idea, I could, I could transmit it's that it's address it. I think a lot of people don't feel worthy. They don't feel um, like they can take rest, that they can take sleep, that they can actually, you know, take that time. Like, it's almost like you're being selfish if you're sleeping and if you're prioritizing your sleep, if you're closing your computer at the end of the day and for real closing it, you know, and turning off email, it's almost like you're not doing enough. So I think it's, um, it's great advice, even though it sounds very basic that hello, you need sleep. Um, but I think a lot of us don't hear that very often. So I think it's great advice. Um, okay, so we have a few more minutes, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about the coronavirus. I want to be mindful about it because I don't want to, you know, it's everywhere. But from your perspective right now, um, first of all, how are you feeling about it? How are you feeling about the coronavirus itself? Not necessarily like what it's done to our world, but how are you feeling about it? And is there anything that we can be doing right now to really support our immune system? Um, Tell us what, tell us what your, your thoughts are about it right now. Um, 
Well, my thoughts are that there have been pandemics before and there will be pandemics again. Um, and on a historical basis and with infinite love and respect for everybody who's been affected by a pandemic or for that matter, any you know infectious disease, this one's not that bad um, at the end of the day. In terms of in terms of total infection and and, uh, and death rates, and again with like infinite love for anyone who's been affected by it, um, I think the media response to it is above and beyond the medical reality. Yeah. Um, and I think that <clears throat> we're going to see. I mean, now I'm forecasting, but I think we're going to see a mental health overhang that has a longer consequential impact than the virus itself. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the things that we can do to both address the mental stress and the physiological stress is just what you teed up, which is focus on our immune health. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and, and I mean, immune health in this context is a, is a touchy thing because what you want is an immune system that is ready to manage the invader. Right. What you don't want is an immune system that is so overwrought, that is so keyed to the max that it causes the inflammatory cytokine storm, which is actually at the heart of damage from, uh, from Corona. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the best tools we have for improving immune health at the moment are lifestyle choices. So the sleep we just talked about, ultra critical. Mm-hmm. Like if people in your house aren't sleeping, you got to fix that because nothing will knock you down faster than a bunch of tired people. Mm-hmm. Um, Secondly, um, nutritionally, you know, uh, we, we eat too many simple carbs in this country and that causes insulin spikes and that causes cortisol spikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that basically increases inflammation um, and that decreases immune readiness. And so to the extent that we can manage our glucose levels um, and we can avoid um, you know, pounding a bunch of food into our bodies just before we go to sleep, yeah. um, that will tend to both improve our sleep and also improve our immune status. Um, I am a huge fan of, uh, I'm a huge fan of, of fungi and mushrooms um, for immunomodulation. Um, <clears throat> and again, what you want is the modul- modulatory effect, not too much, not too little. And so um, I take a mix of um, medicinal mushrooms, including chaga, reishi, maitake, shiitake, turkey tail, some other things every day in my smoothies and, and uh, preparations, yeah. uh, all of which have plenty of clinical evidence to show that they are um, beneficial to the immune system. Um, I get out and do a lot of, uh, I, I get a lot of sun exposure. And if you're in a place where you can't get a lot of sun exposure, I recommend red and infrared light therapy. Um, yeah. I, I use that as well. Um, I do a lot of sauna and cold exposure um, to get those heat and cold shock proteins and, and the hormesis of, of cold exposure. Um, and I get good exercise that is not, um, you know, not really for the purpose of doing anything other than producing that hormetic stress. I'm not trying to like build crazy muscles or right. break down, you know, fat content, but I am uh, keeping my body active and doing right. so in a way that allows for detox and recovery cycles to happen. The other, the other thing I would offer is, um, and uh, if you're just listening to this on audio, you won't be able to see it, but I'm holding up an hour ring and a whoop wristband. And you don't need both. I'm, I'm like a geek, so I'm self-quantifying in a lot of ways. But 
you know, to reflect on what you said, Lauren, which is a lot of people might feel like they're taking time away from some more essential activity when they're taking time for themselves. One way to manage that is to actually track mm -hmm. the, the, the quality of the sleep you're getting and the quality of the recovery you're getting, your heart rate variability levels. Like get, get a, get a self-quantification device um, and look at how you're doing in terms of activity, sleep, and HRV levels. Yeah. Because, because if they're not, if they're not where you want them to be and you have that objective evidence, you have a signpost, you have a milestone that you can use that is objective for measuring that. And you don't have to, you, you can both experience the, uh, the, the joy of seeing things improve and you can also increase your awareness of when you need to improve things. Right. Totally. And there's like these amazing you know, you, you can have an app, you can like, even I think like the iPhone has stuff that you can, you know, it sync does. up to, right? It does. Um, with varying levels of accuracy, but yeah. Right. No, that's great advice. Thank you. Thank you for giving us that. Um, it actually made me think sometimes that, you know, people are sick and tired and fat or whatever, you know, whatever you might be facing. Um, fat is kind of like a harsh word. So maybe, maybe just, you don't feel good. Okay. Um, but then there comes like the point of ownership and the point of responsibility. And I, I, um, I even, I, when I interviewed uh, um, like a really well-known intuitive coach, uh, she brought up a really good point that people feel like they want to be intuitive, you know, but then that comes with responsibility. So when you get that intuitive hit, you know, like, oh, I probably should be taking care of myself. The real truth is when you take responsibility and take ownership of that and it 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 actually requires you to be responsible for your life to be intuitive to be responsible to like self-inquiry all that stuff and I think it's a little you know I don't want to say it's harsh but a lot of people don't want the responsibility you can it's true and you can see how that's built into our current healthcare system so here's here's a, a paradox um, old age is 100% fatal, right? Um, aging is always fatal, 100% of the time. Right. But we don't classify it as a disease. Hmm. Why is that? Yeah. If we did classify it as a disease, we would have to treat it like one. Right. And, and maybe it wouldn't feel good if we were aging and others judged us for aging too fast or for aging at all because we had levers that we could use to change it, right? So there's yeah. this incredible fear at yeah. the level of um, the scientific community and the research community and the medical community for redefining our concept of age as a disease. It's perfectly obvious that that's what it is. Interesting, um, yeah. And yet, and yet we, we, I mean, the FDA, won't let you directly study a thing as a, as an anti-aging medicine because aging is not considered a disease. Now, oh, weird. Yeah. You, you can you can take uh, an aging related disease like heart disease or neurodegenerative disease or cancer, and yeah. you can study your anti-aging therapy as a therapy for one of those diseases of aging. But you cannot yeah. say this thing rolls back or slows down aging, which is. Huh utterly ludicrous but speaks directly to the point that you're making that we would then have to take responsibility for it yeah the, the the hope i would try to offer people is that 
let, let's say you're overweight and let's say that you feel brain fog and let's say that you're tired and let's say that you're, you're on the couch a lot. You have to ask the question, is it because you're on the couch that you're overweight or is it because you're overweight that you're on the couch? And I would, I would actually argue that it's the latter, that that adipose tissue produces yeah. factors that make you hungrier faster and make you totally. crave sugar than yeah. you would if you were, if you had lost weight. And so, or if, or if you had a, at a lower total percentage of, of adipose tissue. And so, so take heart as you, as you, as you get healthier, it will be easier. Right. Right. So right. there's, 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 there's really a bright, a bright side to all of this, but I think to your point, we have to be able to face our own, um, we have to be able to face our own responsibility in this context, which is that we're all responsible for our own li- our own health, our own yeah. life, our own volition. Um, yeah. And finding that is central to making any change. Yeah, it's, 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 it seems so basic, but it's a big pill to swallow that you're responsible for yourself, like all of it. Yeah. You know, it, it, and it's, it's, there's a lot into that, I'm sure. But I think once you grasp that, like, oh, I get to make the choice. I get to make the decisions. I'm not waiting on anybody else. You know, you can really start to have a vibrant life and, and live the life you want to live. Before we go, I wanted to just pick your brain a little bit about some of the spiritual, um, like some of the spiritual uh, awakenings, alignment, ahas, whatever you want to call them. Um, that you've been having recently and if there's anything you know whatever bubbles up to the surface that you feel like people would want to know about yeah there there's there's so much in there I I think I'll just I'll I'll pull out two things one is um, I just read this amazing book by a guy named uh, Michael Singer Mickey Singer um, called the surrender experiment and he made this amazing choice in his life which was to eschew his personal um, preferences. Every time life presented him with a choice and his, his, his personal preference was X, instead he would set that aside and he would do, he would, he would follow what life was offering to him. Yeah, well, and I won't run the book, but it led to this, has, has led to this, uh, what continues to be a truly amazing life. Right. And so the, the, the heart of that, practice is this idea of surrender um which i think goes to you know it's like i feel like i was born yesterday all the time because it took me until now to realize that i can't change the now i can only accept the now right and in that acceptance is the kernel of change and is the kernel of what is possible but as long as i'm mentally pushing back on a thing that I don't like or a thing that I wish was different in the now, I can't perceive the now. Mm-hmm. And so this is all of Eckhart Tolle's teachings and everything that he's right. talking about. It's basically like, what is the point of arguing with reality, right? Like it right. is what it is. Right. And so as soon as you can, as soon as you can be accepting of that reality, um, then all of a sudden a great deal opens up. And so, so I literally feel like I just learned this yesterday and, yeah. and, uh, and, and I feel like I was blind until that moment. And I still feel like I'm blind most of the time, but every time <laughs> I remember it, my eyes open a little bit. Right. Uh, so there, there's that. And then I think the other kind of like aha that's done on me recently is, you know, I've always thought of meditation as like a thing I was doing at a time. Um, and so I would, I would spend time, you know, 
being mindful and, and sort of plumbing the depths of consciousness and, and all that. And then it was over. And then I would like go back out into the rest of the day, mm-hmm. dot, 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 and become unconscious mm-hmm. again. And mm-hmm. so what I've, what I've now understood is that like, actually the point is not to be in the room quiet and, 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 and meditating, but the point is mm-hmm. to be meditating all the time. The point, of, mm-hmm. the point is that life can be a continuous meditation if one's awareness is available for it. Totally. Um, and so, you know, like I, I'm often reminded of uh, uh, this guy, Chip Conley, who was brought in as, um, he was brought in as like adult supervision for Brian Chesky at Airbnb. Okay. Um, and uh, he had this long, illustrious career and then wound up um, at Airbnb and was kind of scratching his head. Like, what, what is it that I'm doing here? Yeah. Um, trying to figure out like why, why he was there in the room. And what he realizes over time is that there's, there's a role in the world called modern elder, right? <laughs> and it's, it's not to be, it's not to be adult supervision, but it's to be the voice, the, the, the voice, the accumulator, the, the, the resonance of wisdom. Yeah. Um, wow. And so I see in what he's done in his life and in his, his work as that, um, as, as, as that gentle, continuous, powerful focus on awareness all the time. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's, that's what's present for me is just the idea that the, the meditation I do on a sort of, um, on, on, a, on an intense basis is, is really just a jumping off point for the rest of life as meditation and, and awareness practice. Totally. Those are such amazing things to be aware of. Um, just to add to that, I think a lot of people start meditation. I mean, my, myself included, you know, as exactly like you stated, like you're going to sit down, you're going to meditate, you know, or like for me, I was learning in yoga practice and, and teacher training. Like it was very much like an event, right? Um, And something that like was scheduled, but now, but that's where it begins. That's where you begin because it's not like we're taught this when we're really little, or maybe some people are, but majority people are not. So you're going to treat it like you've you've learned everything else, which is, it's like an event, you're going to study, you're going to get good and then whatever, the whole thing. Um, But that's where you start. And then that's the effects of meditation. Like that, what you just described is literally the effects of it where it begins to just become something that is your life. It's not this event anymore. Um, and I love uh, this, this concept that they're teaching at the Chopra Center for the meditation teacher training. Um, and they always, like, they, always, uh, they always share that your life is your spiritual practice. So you don't have to go somewhere to have a spiritual practice. You don't have to go on this 10-day retreat. You don't have to be silent for 10 days. You know, your life literally is the spiritual practice. And so yes. um, that's exactly what you just said, you know, like where your your life is the meditation practice. Your life is like every moment The now is actually your life, you know, and, and the spiritual practice that you're having. Totally. I mean, my inclination was to go hide, like go like sit on the side of a mountain for 10 years to, to yeah. be like by myself to get to that. Right. Um, and this is also the, you know, one of the takeaways from Mickey Singer's books. It's like, that's, that's an anti-pattern. You know, yeah. it's, it's really about finding a way to be aware at all times <laughs> yeah. under the most intense stress, like with people, without people in crisis, out of crisis, like to the extent that you can, that your inner world can remain unperturbed by the outer world 
Right. That's, that's the, you know, that's, that's the doorway to power. That's the doorway to equanimity. That's the doorway Freedom. to consequential, you know, impact in the world. Yeah. I love this stuff. I could talk about it forever. Right. Yeah. I literally love it. It's literally like just all I want to do every day is just talk about this stuff. <laughs> I know the feeling. Um, but then sometimes I have to like do something that's totally like doesn't involve my brain or anything else. I have to just like be like, I don't know, you know, I, playing with my daughter actually is a really good opportunity for me to just like check out from all of like the very like, and you know, um, all the stuff. Anyways. Okay. I wanted to thank you so much for being on the show. I think me. This was so fun. So awesome. I think all this information is so awesome. Like I said, like I started the show, my family is crazy brilliant. And it's so cool that I could just like literally text you and be like, hey, you want to talk about the first of all, I also realized I was uh saying it the wrong. It's Schum what is it? Schumann. Schumann. Schumann resonance residences. By the way, I um, might not be Schumann, but I think that's how it is. I I I I believe you. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdoms and truths and all your guidance. Thank you for hosting this podcast and doing all the great work you're doing in the world. It's so, so fun to watch. And I'm very awesome. proud of you. Thanks, bro. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode and for subscribing to Inner Guidance Daily. If you haven't already subscribed, what are you waiting for? Do it. And if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, I would love it if you could leave a review. It helps to reach more people and it helps to shape the podcast. I look at every single review and I listen to all the feedback. If you feel like this podcast is beneficial to you, I would love it if you would pass it along to anybody else that you think would benefit from this information. One last thing. If you're on Instagram, please let me know. Follow me at innerrebel.co. Tag me when you listen to this episode or to this podcast. Let me know what you think. I'm so grateful to know you. I'm so grateful to be serving this community. Thank you so much for tuning into Inner Guidance Daily, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.